pro softball right now is like baseball must have been in 1890 or 1900, right? It's just, you know, how pro football must have been in 1940, right? And in our instant gratification society, that's not acceptable to people, but that's reality. And it just takes time. You just got to keep grinding it out. It's the same thing we say all the time about the Alliance when we think, oh, we're not doing a good enough job. All right, tap the brakes. We're in year three. Settle down. We're okay. Make some progress. Keep, you know, don't accept mediocrity, but understand, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Welcome to the Car Ride Home Podcast. I'm excited today to be joined by Kevin Shelton. Kevin is, Kevin, we've known each other for a while now, but Kevin is currently the leader of the Texas Glory organization. He's the head coach of the 18-under team. He is the commissioner of the Texas Fast Pitch League, former general manager of the Dallas Charge. I'm going to tell that story of you and I working together. Um, Also, a softball dad um, and grandfather. Kevin, welcome to the Car Ride Home. Howdy, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. Great opportunity. Well, so we always start the same way, Kevin. It's the car ride home. Obviously, I'm sure you've been on a, on many, many car ride homes as a as a parent, as a coach, as a, an athlete yourself. Um, but we got to set the stage first. What kind of music? You're in charge. What kind of music are we listening to on the car ride home? I can't wait for this. Yeah, the great news is it's very eclectic mix. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I'm old, so I love the 70s, 80s, 90s, very pop oriented. My brother had me focused. uh, He was big time, my older brother, big time into some heavy metal. So I do enjoy sometimes listening to things like Judas Priest or Rush or, you know, those kinds of things, but generally kind of pop and then my wife uh was the kids were going up got me introduced to kind of a new the new um country so kenny chesney type of stuff um so i like a wide variety um you know and i'm you know these days uh you know harry styles dua lipa you know um i can't remember the other woman i listen to a lot but i mean i'm into whatever's kind of popular but i i prefer that people can sing and i can understand the words i like that um, anything that's got a catchy tune I'm into. Um, my kids know all the whole Beatles repertoire because they were forced to ride in the car with me when I was listening to Beatles. So they were introduced to, you know, older music. I didn't get into the Beatles till I was in my 20s. I didn't recognize their genius until then. But then I realized it's amazing stuff. So, yeah, awesome. I can't be pigeonholed too much. Besides the music, the food is really important. So where are we eating on a car ride home with? with Coach Shelton? Uh, I can eat anywhere. I tend not to, I, I can even, you know, we can go to fast food or whatever, but if I go to fast food, I'm not eating a lot of junk, right? Because I eat a, mostly a paleo diet, so meat, nuts, fruits, vegetables, uh, water. So I can go to McDonald's or Whataburger if I have to. I just get a burger without bread, eat the lettuce, tomato, onions, pickle, the meat, if you call it meat, right? And in most of those places, you can get apple pieces. You don't have to get French fries. Get apple pieces in the water, and so it works. So I, I try not to make anyone ever go someplace because of the way I eat. And of course, sandwich shops work fine. You can just get the meat and vegetables in a bowl. So, you know, and if we go to a real restaurant, there's plenty of options. Even if you go to a pizza place, you can get a salad. So, it, you know, not that that's what I prefer, but I'm not eating a lot of pizza. What about what is what's your most memorable and what's 
your most memorable car ride home. And that could go back to maybe growing up. It could be growing up as a dad with your kids or maybe even more recent as a coach. But when I ask you, what's your most memorable car ride home? So my most memorable car ride home wasn't a car ride home, but um, so we had played and so was Kathy. So my last daughter and we, she was two years younger than the groups she played with at that time, the bunch of the 07s who you'd remember, Natalie Villarreal and Amy Hooks and um, uh, Crystal Huey, Whitney Cannon was an 08, Amanda Locke was an 07, a bunch of those kids all played on the same team. And we had played in a U-trip like state event. It wasn't a big deal, but it was a big deal to us. And we were playing 14U and she was still young. So she was still a 12-year eligible kid. And she was in right field and had made a couple of really bad mistakes, you know, that cost us the game. And she knew that. She wasn't dumb. Um, and it turns out my older daughter and wife were all in Florida at the end of the summer playing in like, you know, I don't know, FASA Nationals or something out there. So we were getting in the car to go out there. And we got in the car and she was clearly feeling very bad. And one of our rules on car rides is we never talked about the game or practice after the game or after practice. Never. That just was against the rules. We just didn't do it, right? The we, the game was done at the field. Practice was done at the field. We didn't take it home with us. They all knew that, and that, I think, helped them learn to play for themselves and, you know, knew that our love was not connected to their performance. So but she got in the car, and she was miserable. I said, oh, just, and it makes me want to cry now. Just go ahead and cry. Let it go. And she bawled for an hour as we rode off to Florida. So that was memorable ride but what actually interesting what got me there was um to understand to not talk about the game on the way home was i had uh, worked at frito-lay and there was a guy there who co-worker he's 10 years older than me we got to be pretty good buddies and he was a bit of an older brother figure and um i started i was talking about my oldest daughter when she was playing 10 year or something and he could tell that I, you know, I'm relaying the stories. He could tell that I was one of those dads. And so he told me this story. He said, hey, and I didn't know what he was doing, but he tells me this story. Hey, Kevin, I, when I was playing basketball in high school, and he's from Cleveland, and he's 6'6", so he's really good. And he said, I would score 20 points and 10 boards every game, and I'd get in the car after the game. My dad would just wear me out. He said, and I love playing basketball, but he would just wear me out. And I really didn't understand why he was telling the story. I'm just listening. And then he says, by the time I was a junior in high school, I never wanted to play basketball again. The game I loved, I never wanted to play again. And I was like, what? Why not? He said, I just wanted my dad to love me, is what he said to me. And I was like, whoa, light bulb on. Boom. Went home, told my wife. I was probably early 30s. Went home, told my wife that story and said, man, we're never... We don't want to be those people. We're never taking the game away. And I tell that story to our parents all the time. If you, if you can get one person to hear it and understand and leave their kid alone, just it's an extracurricular activity. Go play. Yeah, you spend a lot of time at it, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. So, you know, my car rides home were, were you know, informed by that car ride to lunch one day. So it was, And it was one of the most impactful five minutes of my life changed my life that five minutes that's so interesting well and Kevin you know now you're you're in full time with with softball but it wasn't always like that and I know that story and I I think the little bit of I know about you and your past probably shapes a lot with everything that you do with Texas Glory and why you're super inclusive and you know with the different events and things like that 
can you tell everybody Kevin Shelton's background? I want you to go all the way back to growing up and, and where you grew up, but I think it's, and we're both Aggies, so you got you to gotta go into that, into the, the military side too. But can you give us kind of the, the background of who is Kevin Shelton? So, yeah, so I'll try to not make it too ridiculous. But um, so my dad worked for IBM, so we moved around a lot. So I was born in Virginia, uh, Newport News, and then he and then we moved to New Jersey when I was probably four. And then he was there for five years. And then we moved to Houston when I was nine. And he moved, he worked for NASA then. And so that was where I did most of my aware growing up was in Clear Lake City, um, which was annexed by Houston. And most of us are still frustrated by that because NASA is not in Houston. It's in Clear Lake City, which I guess is in the city of Houston proper. But it's very frustrating. It's still a point of contention 40 years later. I still find it frustrating. <laughs> so I went to Clear Lake High School. I went to Clear, uh, Clear Lake Intermediate, Clear Lake High School. You know, I ran track and played football and I was, you know, I was okay. And um, uh, I actually got a football scholarship to Abilene Christian, but my father wouldn't let me take it because I wanted to be an engineer and they literally had no engineering. You know, and though we weren't poor, we didn't have a lot of money. It was a very standard middle, middle class uh, situation. I was the second of four kids, so there wasn't a lot of money for college. So I applied for uh, different scholarships, Air Force scholarship and Marine Corps scholarship. And I got both of those, but I took the Marine Corps one because they were, they had cooler uniforms than the Air Force by a mile. So that's the, literally the reason I chose the Marine option. And then I had to choose between Texas and Texas A&M. And I thought, well, there's a bigger number of nerds at A&M than there are at Texas. You know, there's a whole core of cadets, right? A whole group of nerds there. So I decided to do that. And it wasn't long when, before I was there that I realized the Marines there were very, the Marine options, the guys who were going to be Marines were very tough. I was not tough. You know, they would just grab the freshmen, including me, at a drop of a hat and say, let's go. And we'd run five miles. And I'm like, whoa, what are we doing? You know, and they talked about charging up hills and, you know, shooting. And I just wasn't my thing. And my major was nuclear engineering, so it didn't really make a ton of sense. So I switched to Navy in my second year at A&M. But it was a great experience. It was fun. You know, we... I learned a lot. I, I definitely learned uh, a significant level of humility, which I did not have when I showed up there. So that was great. My my, you know, my fellow cadets who are still my buddies now, you know, really squared me away, <laughs> which, which was good. Um, you know, and then uh, I met my wife there when we were sophomores, and then um, you know, fast forward to senior year, you know, graduate in August head off to the Navy, you know, nuclear power school and do a lot, the whole thing, heading for submarine land. And in the meantime, I had, you know, kid number one and kid number two living in Florida and then living in uh, uh, upstate New York and then Connecticut. And then finally to Charleston in my time in the Navy where I was a submariner and did normal submarining things. Along the way, I got a, a, another degree in information systems. So I got a master's in information systems. I should have got an MBA. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I didn't know what an MBA was then. I grew up in, we're now NASA. So the only thing I knew was if you weren't an engineer, it's because you weren't smart enough to be. At least that's what we thought, you know? So I didn't know what business school was or any of these kinds of things. I'd never heard of those things. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, so then uh, eventually <clears throat> I went to Procter & Gamble for a couple of years, worked in marketing on soap. So I know a lot about, you know, um, clothes washing soap 
which is nuts, but I do. But I got a good grounding in marketing and those things. I didn't have a lot of background there, which is why I went that way. I wanted to do something completely different. Um, but Procter & Gamble is very much like the military, and I realized pretty quickly I'd left the military and gotten into the military. In fact, when I got there, they had just changed the rule so that if men got up from their seat, they no longer had to put their jacket on. So before I got there, if you got out of your chair to walk around, you had to put your coat on. So that's how stuffy that place was. But it was squared away, learned a lot. Um, uh, learned a lot. So along at some point, you know, at that point we have five kids, you know, and my wife is saying, hey, you got to get me home, which she meant Texas somewhere, and Frito-Lay opportunity showed up. So I took it, and that was in 1997. So that's when I got to McKinney. And uh, before that, the girls... You know, I was teaching them to play. I was only good at two things, math and, you know, some sports. So I would work with the kids on math, and I would bounce balls off their forehead till they could catch them, little, you know, tennis balls, nothing that would hurt them. But it taught them to catch uh, very quickly. Additionally, because we, I was accidentally using a small ball, they learned to throw properly, right? I didn't start them with a softball where you end up with your hand under the ball. Started them with a tennis ball because I didn't know any better. And they were learned. They learned to get their elbow up and throw properly, so that was good. So, but they played baseball while we were in the Navy uh, because that's all there was. So that they played with the boys, which I would recommend that to every young uh, kid. So when we moved to Texas in '97. You know, it was we were playing with for the first time ever. I saw a fast pitch softball game, if you can call it that. It was rec fast pitch softball, but it was very very bad, as you can imagine. And that is the beginning of my fast pitch journey. It was the spring of 1997. And uh, my oldest played rec, and she was okay. And at the end of the season, we lost in the championship the tournament. And someone called us and said, hey, you know, his name was Emilio. And he said, hey, do you, does your kid want to play select? I have coached this little team here close to you. Are you interested in being in select softball? And um, uh I said, what's that? What is select softball? I had no idea what he was talking about. And he explained it to me. And I, so I dragged my kid out there kicking and screaming. She didn't want to go, um, but I made her go. And within five minutes, she fell in love because all the kids could throw and catch. And that was unique. First time ever for her that a bunch of females could throw and catch. And so I said, oh, okay, cool. I can coach this. I can help out. Right. And then I realized quickly, I didn't know what was going on as it related to games and tournaments and all that. And I had a lot to learn. I, I could help with you know, the basics, but I was not, I didn't play baseball late in life, and I wasn't a real student of that game, so I began to study a little bit and focus, and at that time, again, I'm working at Frito-Lay, working in a bunch of different disciplines, I was in marketing, I was in sales, and then I was in purchasing, and then, in, and then, you know, the, the softball thing just began to get out of hand, and we, you know, we got lucky, and we got good, and started to do well, and then we had that 07 group that we had together since 2003, you know, and so as 2006 approached, I realized that it was going to be tough to keep doing a normal job and still disappear for four or five weeks in the summer. I was like, how am I going to do this? And there was a, a woman who owned a, you know, a paper company, essentially, cardboard company, and, and was asking me to come help. And I said, well, you know, it's just hard to get away from corporate America. It's a pretty good deal. And Eventually, she gave me everything I wanted plus more in order to, to make the jump. And so in 2007, I left Frito-Lay and began to work for this little company. But parenthetically, in 2006, our first year at Gold Nationals, 
we played the Batbusters in our first bracket game ever, and that was Donna Kerr was in the circle, went to UCLA. Mike Stith, of course, was on um, Gary Hanning's staff at that time, and that Schroeder sister, one of the Schroeder sisters was on that team. A Lestrap sister was on that team. It was nuts, uh, at least for us. Um, <clears throat> what, was, um, what was interesting is at that time, we went to Gold Nationals in Oklahoma City. Part of what drove me to do something different than Frito is when we were there for the first time in 06, we had played three of the 64 teams that were in the tournament. We had played three of the 64. We were not ready. We, right, we didn't play the right level of competition. We were not competing against the best on a regular basis like all those other teams were all the time. So I stayed around after we lost. I think we finished 25th that year. I stayed around, spent some time talking to the Schroeder's dad, to Tim Walton. That's where I met Tony Rico for the first time. Just tried to gather some info, understand what is this, how does this whole circuit work? Who's in charge? Who do I got to talk to? Right? How do we earn our way where we need to be? Um, and so I found out, you know, that we needed to play in things like the Champions Cup in the summer, which people used to play. We had to go to Colorado, you know, just all those things. Well, again, you can start to see you need lots of vacation time, you need money. And we didn't have a particularly, um, uh, affluent team. Those kids were struggling. So I realized I was going to need to raise money and that, you know, we were going to need more vacation days. So we did, we did a much better job in 07, and so we, when we got there in 07, we had played 25 of the 64 teams, so we, we really did ramp it up, and we got to be, you know, we belonged, and people had seen us enough at that point that they believed we belonged. So that was good. I think that year we finished 13th. Uh, we beat the Cruisers in ITV in the second round and then turned around and lost to uh, the Hurricanes, who I think finished third that year. We only, I think we only survived one or two more games, but it wasn't important. We had made progress and we were doing well, but I had made the transition out of Frito-Lay, so that helped me. And then the, the, in 07, 08, we really began to grow. We took on new direction as a club. We created what we call the pipeline, you know, right? Or the, you know, the group of teams that feed up. We tried to put, we started putting in permanent coaches. That's when Ed Nadine joined the club in fall of 07. He became our permanent 16U coach. And that, that was a game-changer, a game-changing situation as well now, so we could begin to feed. And then as time went by, we pushed down to 14U and even lower, so that helped. And then, um, you know, we just kind of marched along for a while, doing okay. And, you know, I, I was, you know, watching you back then at, in college, along with Amanda and uh, Gibson, right? Those were, um, right. And then, and, um, and uh, uh, Sharonda, who, you know, who, for a while, thought I was a creeper, and I just was a fan, you know. <laughs> but you know, I was into slapping and trying to understand it all, and you know, she was successful. Yeah. And again, I was an Aggie. I would, I, I patterned myself after Coach Evans and watched her a lot. And Kathy makes fun of me all the time. Hey, you, you look just like Coach Evans with your mannerisms, the things you do. You know, which is funny. I actually remember the first time we met, you, Kathy, your your youngest daughter. I think is Kathy your youngest yeah, daughter. She yeah, was yeah, on her yeah, official visit yeah, to A yeah, and M. Yeah. How in the world did an Aggie parent? How did we not get Kathy at Texas A and M? Yeah, she chose that, was, that other school across the river. Yeah, it was quite the consternation. Um, you know, Joe Joe asked the same question when Kathy called and told her she was going to Baylor. She the phone rang right away and she said, "What did I do wrong?" I said, "Nothing. You can't." possibly guess what a 15 or 16 year old young lady is thinking 
you know, I think Lumley just won the day, you know, he just overwhelmed her with, you know, communication. And I think on her visit at Baylor, she felt more comfortable there. You know, it was pretty surprising to write her mother and I both Aggies. So very surprising, you know, that she made that choice, but we let her make the choice. I think the other thing is we tried to tell her, don't worry about the money. But she knew the offer at Baylor was full, and she knew the offer at A&M wasn't going to be full. It was going to be 65, 70, something like that. And even though I told her, don't worry about that, we'll figure it out, I think she she was not oblivious to that. So I'm sure that weighed, you know, in some. So but it worked out, you know, it worked out fine. It was an hour closer to the house, <laughs> which was nice. It's funny because I think about it and you really, and it makes sense. You're, you're a math guy or by trade. And, but I, I just remember a lot of our first encounters, you've become a student of the game or of whatever you do and trying to, to learn and pick brains and listen, the, as you were telling those stories, it's like, Oh, I've seen, I've seen this as in different elements from, from when you and I have met too. You, you beat me to it on the, I think you, so when you started that first team, that was under the glory, the Texas glory brand, or did the Texas glory brand already exist? Or did you actually start that? Oh, sorry. So in 97, this, it was called the black widows. Um, and I didn't start that. I just was, uh, I was along for the ride. I eventually got my own black widows team in 99, but we were very bad. It was 12 U. it was B level. I mean, we just, we got, if we got to Sunday, in bad tournaments, we thought we were doing something. It was so bad, you know, it was a real, but you know, it was no commitment. Like couldn't get people to come to practice. And when summer came, they were off on vacations. I was like, that's not what softball players do. They play softball in the summer. They don't go off to the beach or whatever. And so that was frustrating. And then in May of 2000 is when I met Dan Atkins at the pool, local pool. And he had two daughters. I had three daughters. They were very close in age. He was in the middle of his oldest, who was 12, was playing 16U. And those conversations in the dugout are not appropriate for a 12-year-old. And so, right, it's not the right fit. So, you know, we, we both just commiserated and said, man, we really could set up a better situation for our families here, don't you think? And what do you like to do? He liked to do the things that I didn't like to do and, and vice versa. So it was a really good fit in that regard. So we just started making a team. And that was Memorial Day of 2000. So we started making a team list, a names list. He wanted to be UCLA colors. I wanted to be red, white, and blue. Well, then we, and I think I told this story at the meeting last Friday. So we, um, we, we just started looking around and talking and I, I knew I could bring like 10 kids. He knew he could bring 10 kids. So we would have a place to start. And, you know, it's getting out of hand. Oh, this is serious. This is going to happen. And then we ran across a T-shirt that was the ABA Atlanta Glory basketball team. And that was a women's basketball team that no longer existed. But they were red, white, and blue, like we are now, and gold, which was a mix of the colors that we both wanted to be. And Glory was a name that was on our list that no one else had. So it just felt like Providence. So I grabbed that T-shirt, I took it to a marketing person at Frito-Lay, an art person, and said, create this logo, change Atlanta, Texas, make the basketball, softball, right, and give me a logo. And she did. And I still have that original file, the vector file that she created for us. And that was the beginning. And then we, you know, we practiced for weeks on knees trying to throw because we were terrible and hitting off a tee because we didn't know what we were doing. 
you know, and we took 18 kids to our first tournament. We went 0-3 and 1, you know, we tied a pool game. You know, back then everything was two pools to a double, right? And so we tied a pool game and then lost right away in the in the bracket. But we lost four kids right away because they were like, and it wasn't because we had too many. It was because the parents, and we knew this would happen because the parents were shell-shocked by, hey, you mean we have to stay all, out here all weekend? Yes, that's what this is, and that's what it's about. And they didn't like that. And so they, they chose a different path, which was fine, right? But until you know, I don't know how you would know. So that's how we kind of got started. So Glory started, we always say it started on Memorial Day of 2000. Did you know less than 10% of high school softball players go on to play college softball? The recruiting process can be hard and confusing. That's why the Alliance Fast Pitch partnered with the best in the recruiting game, NCSA. NCSA has been a leader in college athlete recruiting for over 20 years and has helped more than 250,000 student athletes make commitments to their college choice. NCSA provides innovative tools to help athletes through online education and performance training, expert recruiting guidance from former college softball coaches who've actually been there, data-driven college, college matching tools, and access to more college softball coaches than any other college recruiting service. And get this, Alliance members get 50% off NCSA Team Edition and NCSA services. Yes, 50% off all recruiting services and products from NCSA just for being an Alliance member. And trust me, I've asked. The Alliance is the only partner with this 50% off discount for our members. Take advantage of this Alliance membership benefit. Get the edge on recruiting. To see what NCSA has to offer, visit thealliancefastpitch.com, click on Partners, and find NCSA. NCSA, the smart way for coaches, clubs, and athletes to win at college recruiting. What, do you, what about when, because you, you talked, you had the pipeline of teams, which was back in, in early 2000s. That's really what you did, right? You had a, a 12U, maybe a couple 14U, 16U, 18U. What was it that made you make the switch to to really expand, even crossing state lines at this point and taking the Texas Glory brand um, across the country? So that actually happened as a result of, of a different failure. But um, when, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but when the charge went away, because Rico had actually been trying to push me, hey, you need to you know, adopt this idea. And I didn't want to because I wanted to have the ability to impact all of the players and coaches and parents and so we were there was about 22 teams all here in Dallas, and we could interact a lot. And we didn't really have a facility, but we had the opportunity to get to know each other well and work together. And we had open workouts, so there was an opportunity to impact, um, you know, many of the players. But when you know, by the time we were in the second year of the Dallas Charge, that was the only thing I was doing to make a living. So when the Dallas Charge went away, I had to kind of decide: Do I want to go back into the real world? Right, in which case it's tough to have five or six weeks of vacation and keep doing softball or do softball. So that's when we decided that we would grow the brand and, and let people. Well, there was like three things that happened right there. One was the loss of the charge. Um, I can't remember the third one. The other one was that we were getting mushed in our own market. There was at that time, so August of 2016, there were more impact teams, more bomber teams. Uh, more firecracker teams in Dallas Fort Worth than glory teams. So we were eventually just going to not be able to exist. So our first job was to beat back the competition in our own market, which luckily we were able to do pretty quickly. Went from 22 to 50 teams in like six or seven months. And then we began to 
you know, push out south towards Waco and east towards Louisiana and west and really control our environment pretty well. And that extended to Oklahoma. And I think now we're in 14 states, Florida, Georgia, you know, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, uh, Kansas, you know, up to name a few, Louisiana. Kevin, what do you, to go that quickly, because there's, there could be people listening that they're on that verge, maybe of thinking of expanding to go that quickly from 22 to 56 or to make that big jump in such a short time. What was the key to, to that growth? Mike Miller, who runs our website, he completely, you know, redid the website so we could manage uh, that flow. We had to change our hosting platform, right? Because we weren't built for any of that at the time. Um, so he did a good job. So that was really important was being able to make sure we had the infrastructure on the back end to support that. And that was challenging because we weren't really ready for it, right? And we, and we had, you know, we we're kind of a one man, one and a half man shop, you know, if you will, managing all that craziness. And back then, I think we were Wilson D. Marini. So we still weren't in the equipment business, so people could order from Wilson and them. But all the apparel, uniforms, everything were coming through my And I managed it out of my house at that time, you know, because back when we only had 22 teams, it was easy to manage out of my house. But, you know, we had to go, we had to go get a facility and, you know, get out of here. And that helped. You know, my wife was very happy when we moved all that stuff. <laughs> What's the operation now? What is what is the Texas Glory staff and and the people and the the support group around it? It's not a huge staff. Like my wife and I handle the apparel, so she handles most of it, and she's around. She's the apparel person on the back end too. If there's any kind of issues, uh, Mike Miller handles all the social media and the computer stuff. And then we have you know we have lots of coaches who that's what they do for a living. You know Keith Allen, Cedric Coleman, you know Jada's dad. You know Ed Nadine, who's a obviously a huge part, is still working for Coke. You know, at some point he maybe it's a bottler, but at some point he won't. Uh, Sherry Nadine, who helps us, does a lot. All her stuff's full time recruiting. You know, um, and we have people who've got positions like Shane Williams, who you'll eventually meet. Is I she's in she's in charge of kind of our younger teams, and she's my liaison to those younger teams and coaches. And so she she reaches out and finds the next young team. So for example, we just brought on a 2013 team recently that she helped cultivate, curate that, the right person, the right leader. We just added three 2014 teams, right? And she's integral to helping us with those types of things. So, you know, we, you know, those teams will be mixed early because they're eight U, so they'll have a mix of 13s, 14s, and 15s, but then those will grow into multiple teams, right, as we try to make them age mm -hmm. pure. So that's really, and I don't want to leave anybody out, right? We use different people for um, uh, mental skills training, mental performance training. Um, you know, we don't really have a, a place where people get uh, physical therapy and anything like that. Everyone's kind of on their own and does that. You know, we do have our facility at the, we call it the Halo, the the actual name, but it's Diamond Kings, but I just refuse to call it that. <laughs> and it frustrates them because when we first got there, I went in, it was giving people directions. And I just, I, I just said, I just actually went into the Google you know, maps and called it the Halo. And I guess it's stuck. So now if you look up the Halo, that's what it shows. So the Diamond King guys don't like that. You you mentioned uh, you mentioned Cedric and you said it in passing of that's Jada's dad. We're filming this and it won't be produced yet. By the time we uh, get this out, we'll have a national champion in 2023. But 
there's been a lot of great players that have played for you. A, a very recent one is Jada Coleman. And I, I guess, um, I don't know how many people know Jada's story too, of growing up a, a midfielder. Now we watch her flying all over the place in the, in the outfield. When did you first meet Jada Coleman? When did she become a, a member of the glory? Uh, she didn't join us probably till she was almost 14, but so we became aware of her when she was 12 and it's embarrassing actually. And, uh, in that they were at PGF nationals, uh, 12U and they're rocking right along. And I think that they ended up, you know, they were marching through the bracket and we're like, who is this bunch? And they were called direct, uh, TV genie or direct genie TV or something like that. Cause oh, they were yeah. the sponsors and they're saying, yeah, they're from the colony, which is, you know, right here in DFW. And I was like, well, how do we not know who these kids are? That's, Part of our job is to know who all of these kids are. And then, you know, there was a viral social media thing where she made some crazy barehanded play at second base, you know, and I think turned a double play. I don't remember exactly, but it was surprising to people because she was a left-handed shortstop and had made this ridiculous play. She wasn't particularly big. She's, you know, she wasn't, she was actually smaller than most of the kids, but just crazy athletic, you know, and just way ahead of most uh, mentally in the game. And so that's when I first became aware of her. And then we would, you know, of course, everyone began to try to recruit that entire team and those kids. And, you know, our uh, Cedric will tell the story where, you know, people would try to recruit him and, and he'd say, well, listen, we're, it's free. We're, you know, we're sponsored by this group and we don't have to pay any money, you know, and everyone would say to him, you know, things like, well, it's not about the money, man, and all that. And, it's, and then when he, when I first talked to him and Ed had been working on him, but when I first talked to him, you know, and encouraging him to come over he said well our situation is free we don't you know i said well you should stay right where you are then because no one can beat that so don't don't move and he mm -hmm. he tells that story to this day he said you know he was the only one who said you know you have to you have a good situation you ought to stay in your good situation and i think that's very important right people who you know we all act based on our own self-interest but you know just do the right thing and you know, things will tend to go your way. Anyway, Jada was a phenom early. She would come out to open workouts, even though she wasn't in the club yet. And, you know, it was clear she was way ahead of everyone, you know, mentally and, you know, just, just in a different level and super communicative, but also very interested in learning and growing and getting better at the game, you know, but just, um, she was always unique. You could tell from the word go that she was ahead of, and I'm sure that's a function of Dina, you know, her own DNA, but Dina, her mom and her dad coaching. Dina's a high school coach, you know, here in town. So I'm sure it's a function of she spent a lot of time at the ballpark. She's the um, third of three sisters. That helps as well. Kathy was the third of three. You know, that's very typical, right? If you look at those situations, it's typically the oldest is not necessarily turn out to be the best athlete in the family. Um, that's a bad generalization, but you know, it helps to chase your older brothers and sisters around. That can help, you know, improve you know, your growth and it matures you quickly. So, you know, it was just a joy to have her around. It was a pleasure to have an opportunity to be on the field with that kid. You know, she gave us opportunities like any young person or any athlete to coach her, but you know, she was special and fun to watch. And I had a great, I had a great seat, you know, what does a player like that do for your program? And is, you know, it, it's interesting now where players are, are moving around. Who knows? Maybe Jada was even offered it when she was in high school too to jump to another club. But 
what, um, I guess two questions, what does a player like that do for your program? And then how do you keep a player like that in your program? You know, Jada clearly was special and one of a kind, but we had a bunch of special players, right? You had Trinity Cannon, right? Rylan Wiggins, uh, you know, Riley Love, who's at Texas Tech, uh, Mickey Wark, who's a year behind him, who's at Oklahoma State, right? In that, you know, 21 class, not the 20 class. The 20 class, our 20 class was very strong, and we'd had a bunch of very good players, right? Taylor Lynch at Oklahoma State, Maddie Sue Montgomery at Oklahoma State, Amanda Locke, Natalie, like I said. So we'd had a, many, many, you know, Kathy, Lindsey Hayes at Baylor, Whitney Canyon at Baylor. We'd had plenty of players who had set a lot of records at their schools and done really well. Again, we didn't, we didn't we'd never had, I don't, you know, we'd never had a player like Jada make the junior national teams and win national, multiple national titles and, you know, but, um, so I think she continued the legacy of the program. She certainly did that. She's certainly helping us now because we have no shortage of social media content as a result of her. Um, so that's obviously great. She's made a, obviously a big difference, but most people, like you saw at the meeting of the day, most people don't know where she played club ball and they don't know. And that's okay. You know, um, you know, there's a time for that. It comes and it goes and, and that's okay. Um, but you know, she continued the legacy of the program. She certainly draws attention to the program, you know, in a way that we realize will not last forever. So we also know we need to you know, just like she does in her NIL world, you have to strike while the iron is hot. Um, and I would, it's funny, Dot Richardson asked me one time, many years ago, she was running what they called the PFX tour. Do you, you may not remember that tour. Oh, yeah, I remember um, that. And it was here in McKinney, and I was explaining to her my team, because we were actually going to play the PFX tour team. <clears throat> she was concerned that we weren't quite good enough. But anyway, uh, I told her I had 17 or 18 players, and she said, how do you try to keep, or how do you keep them all happy? And I said, that's really not the job. The job is to push them. The job is to stretch them. The job is to have a competitive environment. And so those who aren't willing to stick through that and fight through it, you know, won't make it. And that's okay because I'm, I can't send someone off to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Baylor, or any of those schools, A&M, who can't compete for a spot, right? I mean, it just, you'll never survive in those situations. So it's not the job to keep them happy. The job is to help them grow and be the best they can be. And if, if we're not the best environment for them, they should leave. And I, we tell them that all the time. You know, I mean, I've, there's a kid in college right now who's a real good player. She's uh, going to be a sophomore. And when she joined us as a junior in the fall, she was just giving us all, and she's good. And she was giving us all kind of grief, you know, not listening to coaching, not taking coaching. And I remember on a Saturday night down in Houston, pulling her aside and said, listen, you need to embrace the idea that you're going to get coached on this team. Otherwise, it's not going to go well, and you're not going to have any fun. If that's not going to work for you, grab your S out of the dugout and, you know, head down the road. And, you know, I didn't look back. And then an inning later, she's still there. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's good. <laughs> you know, and the next day I remember her, she asked, you know, Cedric told me, she asked Cedric, how, what kind of coach talks to a kid like that? And I, he said, well, I, a coach that wants you to get better, you know, who wants you to realize you got to get coached. So I don't try to keep them happy. I'm not stupid, right? I don't try to run them off. But, you know, you have to, you can't let the, uh, I don't want to say the wrong phrase there, but you have to, you have to manage a thing. You have to lead it. You can't let 
the kids run the team, right? They don't they don't know anything really, right? They're they need guidance. They're looking for the guardrails. They're looking for structure. You know, I was sitting next to Jessica Schultz uh, the other day at the meeting on last Friday, and she was talking to Jazz and others, and she was talking about how she was a wild child and how Patty provided structure to OU and it made all the difference in her life. And I think that that's I think many young athletes, all of us, are looking for yeah. you know structure and you know. It's helpful to know what the guardrails are and how to operate, you know, and, you know, we haven't had very many difficult players. Most of our players, by the time they get to me, they understand what's required and what's expected and they behave, you know. Well, speaking of structure, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but, uh, and move to the, the Texas fast pitch league. You were involved from the, from the very beginning when the 2020 Texas fast pitch league. And I think what I have the best seat in the house because I get to watch in every part of the country all the different personalities, all the past drama, all the other stuff put aside to work together. And I think Texas has been one of the clear leaders with the organizations coming together for the what's best for the game, where it's the Texas Glory, the Impact Gold, the Texas Blaze, the Glory Atkins, the Bombers. Can you talk a little bit about just how – that was built. What made you guys as competitors, right? I watched you and Scott, you go at it on the field, but what made you guys come together to, to actually work together inside the Texas fast pitch league and the Alliance? I want to pause for a minute to tell you about the Alliance fast pitch. The Alliance fast pitch is a national league system for amateur softball. I like to think of us as the pathway to play and the pathway to develop. If you're a youth softball coach or parent of a youth softball player, we know at the end of the day, you just want what's best for your daughter. But sometimes it's hard to figure out where to go or where to start. We're here to help you with that and to make your job easier. Softball is an important part of your life, but it's only a small part of your life. Think of the Alliance Fast Pitch as your one-stop shop for everything. Build your fall, spring, summer schedule tournaments inside your region. Compete on a level playing field to earn your national championship berth. Join a community of fellow youth softball coaches, parents, and athletes. Check out our national leaderboards for all ages. Understand where your daughter stacks up compared to her peers inside a region or even nationally. Help your daughter get recognized nationally through our player recognition programs and get access to all of the discounts and benefits of being an annual Alliance member. We brought the best in the industry into one home so we can provide softball families with access to the best resources at a more affordable price. We built the Alliance Fast Pitch on two principles, collaboration and putting the athlete first. Together, we can grow together. We can do better for our athletes. Be a part of the fastest growing softball community. We're here to make your life easier and your experience in softball better. Join us today. Join the Alliance fast pitch by going to the Alliance and follow us on all of our social media platforms. Certainly it was a group effort. You know, there's uh, all of us have worked well together and all of us have given a little, right. We all have compromised in order for the, for the common, at least our perspective, the common good. Um, so COVID was the catalyst. COVID was what forced the issue. Right. So Scott and I got on the phone and I think it was probably mid April or, you know, of 2020, all of us struggling with the same thing. We've paid all this money to Colorado and to nationals and, you know, we got to have your hotels and your flights and your cars. And what are we going to do? Is any, you know, is COVID going to last for two weeks? Right. We didn't, no one, literally no one knew anything. Right. We were still, you know, wiping off surfaces. Right. Because we thought it's some kind of, you know, it could come off of a, you know, 
like touching it or something. I don't know. It was nuts. Anyway, so we just got together on the phone and we said, okay, we both have this exact same problem. Why don't we, you know, create a schedule that's local that everyone can play for all levels, right? All level of play, the, you know, the top teams all the way down to the teams that aren't the top teams, create environments where everyone has an opportunity to play, where everyone can drive to the field. And if things go bad, right? Because remember back then, if your sister's friend's, you know, buddy got COVID, boy, you're tracing it back to you. And now that we didn't know, right? So we said, okay, that makes sense. And I said, you know, we, we said, okay, if we get on this path, we need to make sure we stay arm in arm. We can't, you know, don't abandon me. I'm not abandoning. He said, he was, you know, he gave me his word. We're going through this door together and take on the, who's around the other side. So, you know, from there, we just called Jazz. We called JB, called Jack. We called American Freedom. We called all the, you know, clubs around and just said, hey, you know, here's what we're planning. Here's what we're thinking. What do you think? Doesn't this kind of make some sense? And it did. And that was kind of the genesis of it, you know, and, um, you know, we, we went to Dave King and said, Hey, we can't come to Colorado. Why don't you put a Colorado in Texas? You know, it took a little bit of convincing, but once he understood what we really meant, what we were trying to do, which keep him viable as well as give ourselves an opportunity. He, I think he took that idea and created four Colorados all around the country that year. Right. In order to, cause it made sense. People could drive, couldn't fly. And so, um, you know, that was useful. And then we, we tried to make, create a postseason, end of the season tournament, you know, not everyone was cooperative. And so as a consequence, you know, we created the TFL, uh, championship that summer. And that was the first year of that. And it became kind of the end of the year thing. And that was the genesis of the TFL. And of course, as we announced the TFL and I can't remember now, maybe May or June of that year, right. Uh, then May. people be people began to say, hey, wait a minute, we can do that. And they should do that. And so, and then I think in the background, there had always been this discussion about this thing that turned into the alliance, right, between number of people. And so the TFL may have been, you know, a bit of a tipping point to help that, you know, because you were still working for UTRIP at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You were, you know, we had to make sure we had, a, you know, had a parachute for you so you can just jump off a cliff and had nowhere to go. <laughs> Right. You definitely were the right person to lead this motley crew and get us together. But I would tell you the calls that we have in the TFL every week. So you've been on some of those and sometimes they can get uh, we're, if you're on there, we're probably on our best behavior. But sometimes they can get, um, you know, they can be fun, you know, and there's lively banter and discussion. We usually agree on things. I think we have a similar view, but there have been plenty of things we disagreed on. And if we have to, we just take a vote and majority rules and off we go so you know I, you, we all can and what's the alliance is all about right we can compete on the field that's one thing but off the field we're all trying to do the same thing and we may do it a little bit differently but man we sure should be able to find ways to work together right the the common good is more important right my standard nonsense that i say grow the pie there's enough pie for everybody right we're we're you know we're interested in this game we love this game you know um, and we can if we do it right, we can do a lot of create an opportunity for athletes and, you know, potentially do some good for their families, change lives, you know. So it's a really rewarding thing. The most rewarding thing I've done since raising my own kids, you know. Um, so I'm excited and I, you know, we've got our hiccups and bumps in the road, but I think we work through those, right? We're only still in year three, I think, right? Something like that. Three. Well, let's, let's go there then. Cause it's funny. I was, I just saw on Twitter this morning, um, DJ Gasso at Utah 
talking about the live golf and PGA. And he's like, man, I wish professional softball would unite. And I, I should have, I just kind of forgot to respond of the Alliance is uniting. And we hope that that's the first step in softball because we got a lot of work to do, but I will let's, it must've been 2015 ish. I'm at a, I'm speaking. I'm like a guest speaker at a USA convention. I'm in academia at the time. I'm teaching at the university of Tampa and the, you walk up to me after the presentation, just come up on stage. And I, we kind of knew each that other was because the, of that was 2014. Kathy's visit. It was for 2014. It was the fall there at Utrip convention. And um, eventually what that turns into is Joel Barsh of talking. I think I talked his ear off about professional softball, professional softball. And he's finally like, okay, let's do it. But I'm not going to do it unless Kevin Shelton is the general manager. And so I think we met like a month later. Remember I flew to Dallas and you and I like just, we really built something out of absolutely nothing. Um, we don't even really know each other, but we're working together. To, like what go back. What do you remember most about the Dallas charge formation and what we learned from that? Yeah. I go back, you know, that, that meeting where I knew who you were, right. I'd watched you in college and play, right. Watched you play in college and then see you ascend to the, you know, the throne there at U-Trip. And, you know, at the meeting, I just wanted to introduce myself, but I'm always careful and cautious because, again, it could, like, old man coming up saying hi to me, what's going on here? What's wrong with this guy, you know? So I tried to make that connection, both Aggies, you know, just to, just to say hi and that I'm a fan and, you know, uh, you know, if everything I can do to help out, happy to do it. Anyway, so that was, for me, that was good. And then, it was December 14th, if I'm pretty sure it's right, December 14th yeah. of 2014 or some somewhere in that range where, you know, we got together at some restaurant. I can't remember where now, but we were sitting in some restaurant and Joel was just kind of talking, moderating, kind of laying out the guardrails. Here's what we can do. And you and I were like on the phone, right, using our phones to figure out, Googling different things, looking at color uh, combinations, names, see where we could, you, you know, what, what name could we use? Do we, could we own the URL? Was the social media taken for these things? And I, we didn't go through that many before we kind of landed on the charge and we quickly did some searches and I thought it was unique, different. And I hadn't heard a bunch of those and, you know, some quick searches found that it was good. And I think you were the one, cause you know, marketing is more your thing. You were the one who, who, who went with, who said a blue and green, these are good colors and here's what they mean. Yeah. And here's why we're going to use those. And I was in no position to push back. I thought that was great. My head began to spin around. We have to somehow put a team on the field in late May. And here it is the end of 2014. And by May, 2015, with to put a team on the field. I had a full-time job at that time as well, you know? And so it was, uh, it was quite the scramble, but I just remember, you know, we'd call and consult and talk through it. And, you know, at some point I was just running with the details, but that was, you know, that was a fun two years. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the whole opportunity. You know, it was a family affair. My wife helped me with all kinds of, you know, the lodging for the team and all different types of things. You're somebody that uh, from NFCA to the Alliance to USSA you've worked with. You're working with USA Softball now. You've always been somebody that um, just really tries to, to bring everybody together. What does, in your perfect world, you know, what does this look like in, in five years of all the entities working together? And you're a business guy. Why should we all work together in softball? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, um, you know, again, it's my uh, view of the world can be and sometimes is idealistic, right? Again, as I kind of said earlier, everyone works for their own self-interest. But I I think when we work for our own self-interest, we sub-optimize the whole, you know. Um, and, you know, it would be in a perfect world, right? There's this, there's a there's a connected softball world at all levels, pro, you know, obviously not really college, but pro and then club, right? And college is a, an appropriate place in the middle for our players to go off and then hopefully come back to the pro world. It all exists, you know, loosely under one umbrella. All the other silos can also exist. There's no, no one saying you trip USA, PGF, shouldn't have, you know, what are all the million other alphabets shouldn't have their businesses. But the more we connect all of that information and data in one umbrella where we can share the statistics, the rankings, the, the team stuff, then then the Nikes and Adidas and Under Armors of the world see us as in the ESPNs, right? See us as a viable place to communicate to the entire you know, softball world, right? I, I, I worked at Procter & Gamble, and to this day, I struggle with, you know, why Procter & Gamble doesn't think that, you know, maybe they do, and I just don't see it, right? I'm sure they're connected maybe to volleyball or, right, to find those young mothers early, right, and connect with them, create a relationship with them. I mean, the, supporting them through this softball journey, right, big companies like that as an example, right, certainly could probably make some hay, build their own brand, as well as create, you know, uh, more um, comprehensive opportunities and improve the situation of, you know, lots of humans along the way. So my hope is that we can all see that together we're better, right? It's, if you want to be selfish, great, grow the pie, there's more pie. You know, all those things are fine. Again, that, that's what motivates people. People aren't typically motivated to help for nothing, right? Though I think I have a great group in Texas Glory who help because they feel like it's the right thing to do and ask for nothing in return. And they usually get a kick in the shin and, you know, in return, you know, or you stink or something like that. But that would be my vision, you know, of it, you know, which would include USA and, you know, the national team, you know, that connection is working. I think they're doing a better job than they ever have now. And it doesn't necessarily need to be under the Alliance umbrella, but just have it be a holistic part of what we do. And that in our schedules, right, in club ball or other things, that we put holes in those schedules to allow regions to do regional player identification that go to the next level, right, where there's a space in the calendar where everyone can go do those player identifications and then there's a national kind of picket team time but it's in a window where it doesn't interfere with you know the normal you know club scene right and you can see we've talked about this right the champions league and all the international leagues or the national leagues over in europe for example i know what happens in south america as well you know they have their league schedules and they put in windows where you can have international competition where they can have the Champions League, the Europa League, they have lots of different levels, right? We should be able to figure those things out, right? But, you know, it requires everyone to give a little, right? We've got to figure out a way to work together. So in a perfect world, we just continue to grow the sport, you know, and, and there there will be it. There's going to be a tipping point where 
the pro sport will have enough people who have time, interest, and, and history of the game that then can support the game. I think people get frustrated because I say, well, why don't, why can't we make, you know, the WNBA go better? Why can't we make, you know, pro soccer, women's pro soccer, you know, stick? It kind of comes and goes, comes and goes, you know, but just keep grinding. There will come a time when there's just enough humans engaged that it will then be able to support itself. You know, it's, um, you know, it's an unpopular thing to say that, you know, uh, well, I hear from my players, you know, they parrot what they hear out in the world. And that is that, you know, women aren't getting paid appropriately. They're not, they don't get paid like the men. And, you know, I, I caution them and just say, listen, people, big companies don't care, you know, what you look like, or if you generate eyeballs and generate revenue, you can get paid. So don't, you know, don't fall for the nonsense about, you know, you're never going to attract people to your cause by just telling them how, how they mistreat you. That's not going to attract people to your cause. That's not going to work, right? But then when I challenge them and ask them, okay, when was the last time you went to see a Dallas Wings game? More often than not, they go, what's that? You know, or they yeah. go, oh, never have. Okay, well, you know, all right, settle down then. There is, but there will come a time when it, you know, will work. You know, and they'll, you know, I tell people all the time, they say, well, how come California is still ahead of us, you know, here than Texas or Georgia, whatever. Well, our best teams can compete with anyone's best teams. That's not an issue. It's a depth issue. They've got 35 million people out there. We've got, you know, 7 million in Dallas or 8 million. They have 7 million in Houston. And, right. So our best teams can compete. We just don't have as many that are that good. I said, but more importantly, in California, they have grandmothers who played the game. We don't have any grandmothers yet here who played the game. We have mothers who played the game. We don't have any grandmothers who played the game. And so they're at least a generation ahead of us in that regard. And that matters, right? It makes a difference in the level of support, understanding, right? Just history of the game, you know? So, you know, over time it will work. Again, I, I hearken, and I think this is an apt analogy, pro softball right now is like, baseball must have been in 1890 or 1900, right? It's just, you know, how pro football must have been in 1940, right? And in our instant gratification society, that's not acceptable to people, but that's reality. And it just takes time. You just got to keep grinding it out. It's the same thing we say all the time about the alliance when we think, oh, we're not doing a good enough job. All right, tap the brakes. We're in year three. Settle down. We're okay. Make some progress. Keep, you know, don't accept mediocrity, but understand you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So true. It's a good reminder every day. Well, let's have a, let's have a little fun. We're going to, we're going to go rapid fire. So first name, first thought that comes, that comes to mind. You got to answer it real quick. Okay. <laughs> How many uniforms will your 18U team wear this summer? How many versions? One. <laughs> That's all we have. We only have one uniform. <laughs> so they'll wear like four, had, they'll wear four, four or five sets. We have one. We'll do the laundry on long trips. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's for jazz out there. That's and it's right. funny because you said <laughs> you picked the Marine Corps for the uniforms. That's yeah. all I could think about. <laughs> no, is, we, uh, we have, we have one uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I actually learned that. I learned that from the Gold Coast Hurricanes and Marty. They had, you could wear black or black. I remember that very specifically from <laughs> 
Okay, most athletic player you have coached, and you you can't say Jada. I can't say Jada. Oh, uh, probably Natalie Villarreal. Then I would, you know, again, left hand second baseman, run, throw, hit, just really, 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 you know, had a loose arm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably was the next. Maybe I could be missing some. Oh, actually, this person you wouldn't know, uh, Brianna Love. She's now married and has a kid and is a teacher in Garland. She went to Garland and went to ULM. They called her Superman there. If you look up the look up the rule the record book at ULM, where Molly Fickner is now the head coach, you will see her all over the record book because she went there. I think because her boyfriend went there, but she could have gone to Power Five school. She was a monster. She may have been the best athlete ever. You know, her father played football at the University of Houston and. So one you probably never heard of her, but she is really, really good. Most challenging player you have ever coached, and challenging could mean whatever you want. <laughs> Kathy Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Just because she's your daughter. Yeah, because it could be you know you can fall into daddy. There was one time at a qualifier in Georgia, you know, that I called my wife and said, "Please help me. I can't handle this kid." And she called Kathy and said. Quit, quit making your father's life more difficult, you know? And so she just, she's very headstrong and, you know, it was, it was, uh, I loved coaching. It was fun, but man, she, she made things challenging sometimes for sure. <laughs> what about, I want to go outside of the Texas glory um, and you can keep it in the Texas circuit or mm -hmm. national, but mm -hmm. who's the best travel ball player that, that you've ever watched? Not take out their college career, but just, hands down that travel ball they were the best player you've ever coached against i remember that those bat buster teams were back when we first started they made real strong impressions on us so i don't remember which the straps it was it was leading off or in the two hole for um but they were so fast and so athletic and it was three sisters and i think that was the oldest one of them she really i still remember you know, her first at bat where she bounced the ball and it came down uh, to our pitcher and she was coming back to first base as the ball came down. <laughs> Just remember, we're in trouble. <laughs> you, know? So, uh, you know, that I'll have to think about that one too. I don't, uh, you know, I haven't, I mean, they're all so good. I don't think, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised when we roll up and, you know, Jim Hecker has a team full of studs or, you know, Mike's Mike's two leadoff kids last year were just unbelievably fast. And, you know, Scott has had just a bevy of really solid players, you know. You know, and again, I think we have two, you know, but they all, you know, there's been just a 20-something years of kids who have just been really, really good. But, I mean, they're all so good, you know, in their own way. And that turns out, you know, if you would have left it open-ended, I would have said, I would have said Jada. And that's how outstanding she is. She sticks out. You know, and if I think if you ask Scott Smith, he might say the same thing right now, you know, or one of the best. I'm sure he has had many, many good players. I mean, Le Leanne Good is one who's really, right, she's sticking out right now. She's really getting it done, you know. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Um, best team that you've, best glory team of all time. Oh, yeah, not fair. Um, yeah, we've had some good ones, uh, you know, I, you know, our 07 bunch was really good. Our uh, 2011 bunch was good. 
13s were good. The 15s were uh, really good. We with the 15s, we as juniors, we won Colorado, you know, and beat Tony in that uh, championship game there. And then in um, it was 2012, uh, 2012 or 13. It must have been 12. We had Sydney Little John in the circle, right? She went to Alabama and did well there. But in 2012, so we finished third in Colorado. And then at, at uh, Triple Crown Nationals, we allowed one run and finished ninth because we, uh-huh. we cruised to the single limb and we got beat one to nothing with her in the circle. And your old teammate, Lisa, was calling pitches for um, Little John that day. And then we went to and we went to PGF and we finished third. So we caught Mike on a he was Mike was Mizuno that year. We caught him on a, a rough day in the round of eight in the winner's bracket, and we we got up eight to nothing uh, early, and then even with Little John in the circle, he battled. They battled back to eight to eight. Then we scored three in the sixth, and we ended up winning eleven to eight. Um, and so then we went and lost to the Batbusters, and then we beat East Cobb Bullets. And then lost to the SoCal Athletics Richardson, and we finished third. So that was our best finish at PGF, and it was because of Little John. So that was a very good team and a very good, very good summer. This is just a question that came to mind, but um, through the alliance, we've gotten to all meet each other, right? And what I learned too is, you know, we'll go to dinner, and and some of you guys hadn't actually met off the field. Is there anybody um, just surprising, good, bad, probably positive? that you didn't know that was maybe one of the most surprising or that you've gotten to know really well through working with the Alliance? I haven't got to know him that well, but Jeremy is quite surprising off the field. You know, he's um, he's a really interesting cat, Jeremy Higdon, right? He's, you know, he runs like crazy man. He's just a lot of fun. You know, he's he's got fashion sense. He's got, he's cultured. He's not all the stuff that I'm not. He's, you know, he's good at. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's a very interesting kind of character, you know, but they're all, all seem to be good dudes. You know, I'm a little boring compared to most of these guys for sure. You know, uh, jazz is fun to hang out with, you know, she's cool. Uh, so, you know, all of them are pretty neat, but Jeremy definitely is the, the one who makes me smile and laugh the most when I think about guys off the field. It's a good one. And then my last question, this is important. We're going to, Let's say that I'm playing travel ball right now. I'm back in Texas, my Texas roots of all the, the organizations in Texas based on personality. Now that you know me, who's the best fit? Which which head coach of an 18-year team is the best fit for me? Well, it's process of elimination. So it could be KC because he's kind of going to give you lots of rope. He's going to let you do your thing. It's not, you know, he's not going to squeeze you too hard, right? I don't think it's Scott. You know, I don't think that's your fit. Uh, I may not be your fit either just because I, you know, it's, you know, it's my way or the highway, you know, the way we play the game, you know, keep it simple, but, you know, we're moving runners and, you know, it's just very specific how we attack the game, right? Um, But I think you could, I think you wouldn't have a problem with me, but I think KC, you know, JB doesn't really coach the 18s anymore, but you would do fine anywhere because you would adapt and you've done that a lot. You know, the question is, where would you flourish the most? And probably in a place where you were left to your own devices would be my guess. So I'd go back to my roots of impact. There you go. Casey, yeah. I'm coming for Casey. you there. I just, I, I asked that question only because I, uh, I thoroughly enjoy, I think it shows y'all's personalities. Um, Scott says I would have been a bomber. 
but that probably also doesn't surprise you there. Well, Kevin, I, I appreciate it. I, I've always um, just been a fan and I'm glad our, our paths have crossed in different ways. And now we get to hang out every single week through through the Alliance. But thanks for joining the car ride home. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate the ride. And I was a fan of you first. Hey, guys, we hope you're enjoying the car ride home podcast. Hopefully we're filling the air and making your car ride home a little bit more enjoyable. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple or YouTube and leave us a review. If you have any special guest or request that you'd like to, to hear or have us bring a guest or a story onto the podcast, shoot us an email info at the We'd love to hear from you. Oh, 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 oh